Well, we knew Jerome Powell would be giving a hawkish speech at Jackson Hole, so why were equity investors so surprised when he did just that? We had a big sell-off of the share market on Friday, uh, strengthening the US dollar. We also saw a big fall in the Aussie dollar as a response to one man doing exactly what was expected of him. Meanwhile, things go from bad to worse in Europe. Gas prices up even higher. The price cap in the UK lurching sharply higher. Where does it all end? And happy birthday to us. The morning call is six years old today. It's Monday, the 29th of August, 2022. It is the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is up 0.3% on Friday and about 0.6% over the week last week. The euro weakened a little, but not as much as the pound, which was down 0.7% on Friday. The Aussie dollar lost 1.2%. It's now below 69 US cents. And the Japanese yen lost 0.8% as well. Uh, the big moves on Friday, though, were in US equities, reacting with gusto to Jerome Powell's talk at Jackson Hole. We saw a 3.9% fall in the NASDAQ, a 3.4% drop in the S&P 500, and a 3.2% drop in the Dow, which is curious because he didn't really say anything that we weren't expecting. Bond movements, though, would be much more controlled. A two basis point rise in 10-year treasuries, up to 3.04%. Two years didn't move at all, in fact, really. 10-year yields actually fell in the UK, but a seven basis point rise in Germany, up nine for 10 years in France, up 15 in Italy. Australian 10-year yields fell 10 basis points on Friday, down to 3.57%. Uh, they've come back a couple of basis points uh, on futures since then. And a big rise in Brent crude on Friday at 1.7%, almost $101 a barrel, a 0.6% rise in WTI. And Europe, European gas prices are now up around €340 Euro per megawatt hour, just another 55 or 6% added in a day. That's all. Just keeps on going up. So we had a strong reaction to Jerome Powell's address at Jackson Hole on Friday. Here's Nabs Ray Actual in Sydney. Um, these big moves in in shares, and yet he didn't say anything surprising. Actually, he didn't say very much at all, did he? It was a very short speech, but we knew he was going to be hawkish, and he was. So why this big reaction on equities? Well, good morning, Phil. I'd, I'd probably say that uh, even if the bond market had got the memo in the lead-up to Powell's speech that it was going to be hawkish and he probably wasn't going to pull any punches, and he certainly didn't. It's not uh, doesn't look as though the equity market got that memo, did it? So uh, yeah, or you can explain perhaps the restrained bond market reaction by the extent of the equity market falls. But um, no, you'd have to say that um, you know the speech was certainly hawkish. You say short and short and not sweet. I just uh, did a word count yesterday, 1,300 words. It fits on less than two pages of A4 and ran for less than eight minutes. So um, brevity, mm. clearly a virtue. But um, I think the sort of, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of killer words in there. But um, the comment that price stability will take some time to achieve yeah. and is likely to require a sustained period of below trend growth, which will also bring some pain to households and businesses. No, lovely. That is what the equity markets did not like. Yeah. But I mean, not as we say, not surprising. But but it's interesting him saying it's going to take uh, a, a long time because obviously the markets are priced in that it's it's not going to take long at all, and and rates are going to fall next year. But he seemed to be talking against that, and yet did did the did the bond markets react react to that? Not really. But uh, no, they didn't. They still insist on the view that uh, you know if we're going to get rates into restrictive territory this year, then uh, and we're going to have you know. A recession, however we want to define it, then the Fed is going to be cutting rates next year, which obviously makes the heroic assumption that uh, which which Powell you know made abundantly clear that inflation is going to be you know heading down to something close to two percent. Well, which uh, to, to see that by the end of next year is probably 
very heroic. But um, well, there, there, yes, is the, there is the reverse scenario, isn't there? That, that, that actually it doesn't make a jot of difference, and then they have to, uh, that, you know, that they they realise that it, it's supply driven inflation; it's not having an impact, and so they might as well reverse. I mean, there's that argument too. That's not the way that uh, the Fed and dare I say the ECB are thinking. And uh, but just on that pushback, <laughs> I think that, again that the key, I guess, forward guidance, if you want to call it that, was that uh, he reiterated or reminded people that the the Fed back in June showed that the median uh, Fed funds rate expectation was still running slightly below 4% through the end of 2023, i.e. higher in 2023 than 2022, which is the the pushback of sorts. But uh, as you say, Mm. the the bond market uh, still believes that uh, some kind of soft landing or, or some kind of sort of graceful decline in inflation to 2% is possible. And um, maybe that's why the front end didn't sell off so much. So, and it, did, and it hasn't really changed the expectations then for September, has it? I mean, it's 50 or 75, but it's it's more 50 than 75, I think, isn't it? Yeah, he was very clear. He just said that, uh, you know, he, he you know it, as well as saying, look, we did 75, two, uh, two meetings on the trot, uh, but the decision um, in September will be between 50 and 75, effectively, saying that, well, he didn't say that explicitly, mm. but said that, uh, you know what we do will you know will very much depend on the incoming data. And remember, we've got a CPI release on the thirteenth of September. Were we to get another um, you know evidence of a slight downside surprise as we had last month, then um, you know fifty is still possible. So it's not it's not nailed on, but I think it was the the message that uh, you know we're going to go up. We've got a, a job of work to do, and we don't think we're coming down. So, um, but yeah, fifty or seventy five still a still a coin toss. You probably say for choice. 75 looks a little more likely than 50, given the overall tone of Powell's remarks. So I wonder if uh, if he hadn't, if Jerome Powell hadn't uh, piped up on Friday, I wonder if the equity markets would have gone up even higher because we had the, because uh, the, the, the data that was around was actually quite good, wasn't it? So the PC deflator on Friday was weaker than expected. It was 0.6% month on month in June. The expectation was 0.3% for July and it came in at 0.1%. And the, uh, uh, the, the, core figure for July one month actually fell, didn't it? 0.1% month on month. So, yeah, you know, but, I uh, mean, the equity investors would be saying, hey, look, it's peaked. Absolutely. It really? and, and we also had that uh, University of Michigan um, inflation expectations reading. Um, uh, that was, uh, that's the preliminary reading for yeah. August. Was down, sorry, for, Shut up. Um, sorry, the final reading for, uh, for August. I've got my maths wrong. And that was 2.9 from, uh, from 3%. So, um, yeah, and the final yeah. reading on sentiment was actually revised up to 58 from 55.1. And that probably reflects the, uh, the fall that we've seen in petrol prices in the US. And so the, the Johnny come late list to the survey effectively probably had uh, slightly less negative sentiment than those that were surveyed earlier in the month. Yeah. Well, I'll give you some figures on that. So the price at the uh, the Bowser in June was a dollar thirty seven because it's very cheap, obviously over there. It's down to a dollar nine now. So yeah, mm. that says it all, doesn't it? Really. So the ECB now uh, they're looking at seventy five basis points as well. Well, a few people there aren't. Uh, so Robert Holtzman, for example, and uh, Klaus Not. Uh, well, they've said fifty, and we should be looking seriously at seventy five. But uh, no, that was uh, that was interesting. And then around the same time, we had a Reuters source report saying that some governing council members were angling for a seventy-five basis point uh, increase. So no prizes for guessing who might have uh, who might have spoken to, to Reuters in that respect. But on top of that, we had two ECBers uh, speaking at Jackson Hole: Isabel Schnabel, um, a known hawk. Um, the German member of the governing council member, and also the uh, 
the Bank of France governor, uh, Villeroy, and they're both warning of the larger sacrifices in terms of weaker growth and lower job creation to very much singing from the same hymn sheet as, uh, as Jay Powell uh, as necessary mm. to tame inflation. So um, it's not just a, a couple of, uh, of known hawks who I think are now pushing um, the case for uh, for more aggressive moves. And uh, Villeroy said that, you know, we need to get restrictive, um, which is somewhere north of between one and two. It's pretty widespread there, but saying that we could reach there before the end of the year. So that means, uh, you know, whether it's 50 or 75 in September, there's, uh, you know, there's two or three, you know, 50 basis point minimum uh, rate hikes uh, in the chamber. That seems to be the implicit message there. So they are between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? Because on the one side, they could say, well, actually, we don't need to move up quite so fast because, uh, you know, we're on, we're on the verge of a, of a recession. We're going to see demand softened uh, because of uh, the rising fuel prices and uh, and people not having enough money to uh, spare cash to be able to spend on anything else. So we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see it happen of its own accord. But they can't really take that line, can they? Because uh, so long as the Fed keeps on pushing up, then that's weakening the euro. And of course, you know, that's pushing up input prices, which is making inflation worse. So they've got to, they've almost got to follow the Fed, haven't they? No, I think they have. The question is whether higher rates that are going to compound the growth slowdown. And, you know, you talk about, you know, is it supply, is it demand? Well, in the Eurozone, the supply of gas is close to zero. In fact, it will be zero on uh, Thursday when we enter, or is it Wednesday yeah. when we enter a three-day shutdown, at least anyway. But, um, but I think you're right. I think the Euro weakness, obviously, we've been in and out of, of parity in the last week or two. And a few ECB officials have been, you know, referencing it, you know, with the caveat that they don't target um, the euro. But in terms of compounding the, the upward pressure that it's putting on import prices, I think it is relevant. And as you say, um, you know, at the margin, at least, that sort of condemns the ECB to, to be seen to need to be seen to be following pretty much what the Fed is doing, at least over the next uh, six months or so. I wonder if they're going to have to resort to rationing and what that, what, imagine what impact that would have on the, the European economy. Well, I mean, there's rationing of sorts anyway, isn't there? We know there's going to be rationing to some of the heavy industrial users and effectively this sort of, you know, self-imposed or voluntary 15% restraint yeah. is, uh, is rationing of sorts, isn't it? Mm. Do you know what? It's to show how crazy it is. There's reports that uh, you can see it from the Finnish border. Apparently they're burning off gas in Russia now, the stuff that they can't sell. Uh, there's a uh, Reistad Energy in Norway reckons 4.3 million cubic meters of gas is being burned every day by the Russians. Imagine mm. what that is doing to the environment. I, know, I saw, I saw the same thing. What I'm going to say, yes, you know, if you're trying to look for glimmers of silver linings in, uh, you know, the lack of uh, fossil fuel exports into Europe, yeah. it, uh, it ain't doing anything for the environment, yeah. given those stories, is it? So the doom and gloom continues on the other side of the uh, the English Channel as well, because Ofgem has lifted the price cap, which is the sort of like the the the, the top price that uh, energy suppliers can charge. Uh, on average, per year. So that's gone from £1,971 to £3,549. And then uh, you've got research from Cornwall Insights, who've been pretty accurate at predicting this so far. They reckon that uh, by March or April next year, it could be up to 5386 And it couldn't stop, you know, might not stop there. So, you, you know, it could be looking at... In about 18 months to two years, a five-fold increase in the price of energy in the UK. You know, so if it's at 5,386 per year, the average wage after tax is 27,200. So 20% of the average income being spent on energy. That is, I mean, uh, something's got to give. 
hasn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, it almost beggars belief when you read those stats, and particularly putting them, as you say, as a share of uh, a share of average take-home pay. So, in terms of what's going to give, well, let's see whether anything's going to give after the fifth of September when this. Mm. Uh, the uh, the contest for the new uh, leader of the Conservative Party and hence the uh, the Prime Minister uh, will be delivered and we've had comments from the current UK Chancellor Zahawi speaking after that news on Friday um, you know eff- effectively saying that uh, you know further support is going to be developed and that they will the new Prime Minister will have the tools to hit the ground running question is you know just how much how? Can, can government mm-hmm. finances you know, take the the, uh, the strain, if you like, of, of, of dramatically increasing the subsidies. Effectively, they're going to be paid to households. So that's going to be a key uh, talking point in, in the early days, not even weeks, I think, of, of the new UK government after the fifth of September. To more debt issuance. I mean, it's a good. I mean, you know, I mean, the amount of money that would need to be spent to try and you know get the, the mm. level down to what's going to be comfortable for people. Absolutely. I was even reading reports of uh, drawing parallels with uh, Jim Callaghan, UK Prime Minister, you know, running to the IMF for a bailout in the nineteen seventies. Mm. So uh, anyway, let's uh, let's hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, to the point about whether the public finances can take the strain. Uh, is a relevant one, I think. So the Aussie dollar obviously losing a, a great deal of ground on on Friday, just because the the I guess because of the risk element uh, associated with uh, you know rising interest rates on the on on the global scale. But I mean, Australia generally is uh, is is sailing through this better than most. And I wonder what the retail sales uh, will show today, because obviously we've seen that growth trickle to uh, almost slow to a trickle, 0.2 percent for for June, 0.7 percent growth in May. Where's it going to go this month? Or in July, I should say. Well, the expectation is that it's going to be up about 0.3. I think that's the NAB forecast, but also the the market consensus. Remember, these are nominal numbers. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. with inflation running, you know, um, you know where it is, 0.3 on the month, month effectively yeah. can imply yeah. zero or even negative yeah. real growth at least. But to the point about the Aussie, you're saying, yes, it, uh, you know, it is relevant to say that uh, you know, the likes of Australia, particularly given – you know, we're having a positive terms of trade shock when uh, certainly Europe and Japan are, are suffering a big negative terms of trade shock. So that's certainly good news. And it is showing up in outperformance of the Aussie dollar against the likes of the euro and the British pound. Um, but it's also the case that the Aussie and New Zealand dollars have historically always suffered when global growth has suffered. So the message from the central banks that we're, you know, we may be heading into recession or recession may fortunately be part of the solution to get inflation down is not a positive one and that's why you know we talk about the Aussie and Kiwi as being um, pro-cyclical currencies if you like or growth sensitive currencies and that's why they were the weakest uh, two performing major pairs on Friday but uh, you know the share market might bounce back today (laughs) in in the States and the Aussie dollar might come back with it who knows (laughs) Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the other side. So whatever you, uh, you know, whatever you want to buy, Phil, I'm a seller. <laughs> is, oh, we're not allowed to. This, we're not allowed to give advice this why, in this program. Exactly, are we? This is why I just discuss that. This is why I talk and don't spend my money. That's for exactly that reason. Uh, look, we uh, it's a significant numbers this week. Uh, you know, which are going to guide central banks, non-farm payrolls. Obviously, very interesting for the Fed on Friday, uh, and um, we get the CPI for the eurozone as well, so we can see uh, exactly what's happening there. No, absolutely, and. and the expo, I just looked at the expectation. Headline CPI is seen hitting 9%. Those numbers are coming out midweek, and we'll get a wow. clue from that from the German numbers, I think, the day before. But, um, but yeah, big mm. week for, for US numbers. They're manufacturing ISM payrolls, as you say. And, uh, and also, you know, that Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline due to shut down from 
for three days from Wednesday. Yeah. So are the reflows going to resume on Sunday, no. on uh, the weekend? That's going to be a big talking point on Monday morning, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Place your bets now. I think it's fairly certain that there'll be a, there'll be an excuse for a delay at the very least, won't there? But uh, because he just wants to show who's in charge, obviously. Uh, but we shall see. And look, we are, um, before we go, we are six years old today. 29th of August, 2016, we started doing this podcast. Who knew it was going to last, Dre? 1,400. No. This is episode 1,441. It does actually feel like we've been doing it uh, for for that long, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> as they say, doesn't time fly when you're having fun? Huh? Uh, 5.5 uh, million, million people have hit the play button since we started. So, uh, wow. yeah, we, we must be doing well, something. Well, right? thank, well, thank you to all of you for listening. Who'd have and, thought uh, there'd be so many people in, interested in bond yield curves and find them quite so fascinating? But they, they have. So that's great. Uh, thanks for coming on. We'll catch you again very soon. Uh, I'll be back for episode 1,442 tomorrow. Good to talk, Ray. Look forward to it. Thanks, Phil. We certainly picked a turbulent six years, didn't we, uh, to kick off the whole thing. Uh, Back again tomorrow, as I say. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then. Have a great day.